The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Guess who wants to join the volunteer fire department? No, I asked you not to mention that. I didn't mention any names. All I said was, guess who? And if Mr. Drucker can guess who who is, then you're in. But I asked you not to mention it. Mr. Douglas, you interested in joining the volunteers? Oh, he guessed your hoo-hoo. <laughs> We'd be glad to have you. Well, I'd like to. Uh, now, how do I go about joining? You gotta talk to the fire chief. Well, all right. Now, who's the... Are you the chief? I ain't wearing this white helmet to match my shoes. Do you think he can join? He can if he can pass our high standards of firefighting qualifications. What are they? What instrument do you play? Instrument? Can you play the sousaphone? No, uh, I can play a piano. That ain't no instrument for a marching band. Application denied. What? Joe, you can't turn Mr. Douglas down just because he can't play it. Look, Sam, I got the white helmet, ain't I? That makes me the chief. I say a man can't fight fire unless he can play a marching instrument. That doesn't make sense. Well, it does around here. We have more parades than fire. <laughs> Mr. Carson, I think you've missed the whole point of the volunteer fire department. They were not formed as musical organizations. They were formed to protect the smaller communities, the farmer, his home, his barn, from the ravages of flame and holocaust. They were formed by men who were ready to drop their hose and their rakes at the first flare of flame and rush to the aid of their neighbors with hose, with water, with their bare hands if necessary. That's what a volunteer fire department is. Hannah's the only instrument you play, huh? No, I play a little guitar. We had band practice tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. We'll see if we can make a firefighter out of you. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. It's Thursday, May 26, 2016. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be And welcome to our show this week, where we will be turning our attention to my home province, which is the province of Ontario, and we know many of our listeners do not live in Ontario. But for those of you who don't live here, you might already be experiencing what we're going through, but Ontarians sure went through a shock over the past week or two, one that they got, and shock is the word to use, because it's electric, let's put it that way. And uh, they got it from their political masters this past week with costs of electricity already well past being affordable for huge portions of the population. The Liberal government in Ontario this week revealed that it plans to phase out even natural gas for homeowners. This, this very thought is unthinkable to the average uh, homeowner in Ontario since that's the cheapest form that people are heating their homes with. And now they're being told by our government that we have to heat our homes with electricity only in the future. Joining us in studio today is the leader of Ontario's Freedom Party, Paul McKeever. Paul, welcome back to the show. G'day, Bob. G'day, Robert. And uh, sounds like we've got a lot to talk about today, but before we start, let's just remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ 5130, or on channel 292 6070, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org. 
I'd also like to remember, uh, remind our listeners, Bob, that Just Right is uh, driven by donations. So if you go to our website, there's a donate button there that uh, you can click on, and uh, that helps drive our listenership up. So please consider that. Um, welcome, Paul. And of course, now Paul and Bob and I have been uh, friends for many, many years. We're all in the same party together. We all um, are on the same page, so to speak, philosophically and politically. And we always have this ongoing discussion about what kind of government, what kind of control we live in and, and, and under. Is it an anarchy? Is it socialistic? Is it fascistic? Is it communistic? Is it government? Is it government? Or is it all of the above? <laughs> or is it all of the above? So I, I throw well, the question the out to you, Paul, and we'll go with your running definitions of what kind of system are we here in Ontario um, under? Well, I think the, the little recognized answer is that we are in a system of anarchy. And I mean that in the sense that we don't have, uh, you know, using the guns and laws of the province, we do not have a group of people whose uh, activities are solely to defend each person's life, liberty, and property. Instead, what we've got is those very same people using the guns uh, to take life, liberty, and property. And to my mind, uh, when you're talking about a government, you don't just say, well, it's a government if it's elected, or it's a government if it wears a crown, or it's a, a government if it carries the wand or wears the white hat, as the case may be. Um, it's a government if it does what governments are supposed to do, which is to govern uh, the ill-mannered and the uh, ill-acted uh, people uh, to make sure that every individual has control over his own life, liberty, liberty and property. And that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing quite the opposite. So I, I see this as a situation where what we have currently elected is a, a tantamount to an organized criminal gang elected by its own members, uh, which number in the millions. And uh, what do they want? Well, they want something for nothing. They've got the numbers right now to seize the seats in the legislature and pretend that they're government, but in fact they are just, as I see it, a uh, organized criminal gang that currently is occupying the seats that should be occupied by a government. One of the characteristics that I would ascribe to anarchy is the general feeling that everybody is out for themselves and such a, a system of control as that we have today under Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals would foster a greater black market, so-called black market, which I would actually think is the real market, but a black market, people trying to prevent them, uh, uh, controls from getting to them. Do you see that as well? Well, uh, certainly we see uh, in the streets of Toronto, especially right now, there are a number of stores opening up and the elected officials don't know what to do with them. They're selling, uh, hero or not heroin, but they're, well, they're probably selling those too, but <laughs> <laughs> not in those stores. In those stores, what they're selling is uh, cannabis products, whether mm -hmm. it's candies or whether it's actual just leaf cannabis. And uh, they're apparently numbering, if, if not in the tens, in the hundred, hundreds, uh, you know, and the uh, police are wondering, are we supposed to crack down on these people? Or is it the case that because the, f the federal liberals have said we're going to drop prohibition, we can just let, sort of let things slide? And of course, the progressive conservative, former leader of the progressive conservative party of Ontario, T John Tory, who is now the mayor of, of Toronto, is saying that the police must crack down on these places. I mean, and this is the, a funny thing, because of course, John Tory is the fellow who famously in his, in his uh, law school days wrote an article in his law school newspaper 
uh, recounting the tale of how he and a buddy were carrying all this marijuana around and they thought they heard the police and so they took off and then he went driving a car and apparently stopped short of the stop sign by about 30 feet because he was so high he said his depth perception was affected this is the guy who thinks we should be cracking down on the youth who are opening up businesses on uh, the streets of toronto it's completely hypocritical interesting you bring up that issue because i've got an article from the may 20th financial post here with a heading lobbying leads to toronto pot crackdown with a subheading heading licensed producers take on black market. This is the same thing that Robert and I were telling uh, Prince of Pot, Mark Emery, uh, a couple of weeks ago on the show, that this is going to be their new nemesis, the, 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 the people who get the licenses versus the people who don't. And right. now the former people in that industry have a worse enemy. You can say the same thing about almost every business that the government touches, including our electricity system. I don't think too many people in Ontario are worried about the pot issue as much as they are about how much it costs to heat their homes. From what I'm hearing out there, I listen to a lot of talk radio, as you know. I listen to a lot of people expressing what I think is a complete sense of confusion, disbelief, can't believe what they're seeing. It's just a complete misunderstanding. They think that the world's gone crazy. And uh, somehow they got left behind and they don't even know what's going on anymore. Um, How do we get around the public's frustration so that they can get a picture of what's really happening so they can understand what they're dealing with? Well, this is why I think it's really important to define what a government is. Mm -hmm. As long as people think they have one, they won't realize that they're missing one. But historically, even the Soviet Union's a democracy. Even China's called a democracy. They're all called governments because they all have some sort of Of the people, yes. People's republics. But this is, I think, part of the problem. As soon as you call it a government, you give it legitimacy that it doesn't deserve. Al Capone, for example... Uh, you know, got enough people elected and then uh, did the same things that he did as as a gangster, you know, forced people to buy his beer and whatnot. He would be just a gangster who's elected. When you have a group of people who are uh, saying that they're going to use the guns of government to prevent people from buying natural gas from peaceful, honest producers of it, uh, you effectively have a gang that's saying, these are our streets, get off our streets, we're going to use force to prevent you. This is a turf war. We're elected, we have the reins of power, you don't, and they're going to do everything they can to keep those legislative seats and to keep the seats that are supposed to be occupied by government. But we don't have one. We have anarchy, the absence of a government. And this is, of course, the result. You'll recall in the 1800s, the the governments were actually in place that defended life, liberty, and property. What happened? Communist infiltration and et cetera of the the intellectual, uh, you know, the, the schools, the intelligentsia, ended up with political parties that pushed for criminality as official government policy. We should be stealing money from those who make it. We should be putting people into effectively wage slavery. We should be killing anybody who dares to compete with the government supply of, for example, in this case, uh, alcohol. We have in the, in the province uh, a monopoly on the distribu- distribution of alcohol in the LCBO, the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. God help you if you tried to set up your own distribution center and without... For, and for beer, it's a cartel of private owners. Right, set up again by the province. Yeah. Yeah. None of these things can exist without the government's aid. So where, what do you see as the, the direction to take things in, in terms of making it clear to, to a baffled public? Well, I think the first thing is to make sure the public knows what a government is and to know what it isn't, and for them to take the first step and to say, we don't have a government, it's time we did. I, I'm sure we can get into that a little bit later. I know yep. we're going to be talking about that a little bit wrong. Well, but, I so. think our first break will give people a little taste of what a government is and what a government isn't. What you're about to hear is from the film The Untouchables, where they speak about the people's will 
and being a team player sounds very familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. An article which I believe appeared in a newspaper asked why, since you are, or it would seem that you are, in effect, the mayor of Chicago, you've not simply been appointed to that position. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, it's touching. Like a lot of things in life, we laugh because it's funny and we laugh because it's true. Some people say, reformers here say, put that man in jail. What does he think he is doing? Well, what I hope I'm doing, and here's where your English paper's got a point, is I'm responding to the will of the people. <laughs> <laughs> people are going to drink. You know that, I know that. We all know that. And all I do is act on that. And all this talk of bootlegging. What is bootlegging? On the boat, it's bootlegging. On Lakeshore Drive, it's hospitality. <laughs> I'm a businessman. <laughs> And what of your reputation that you control your business through violence? That those that don't purchase your products are dealt with violently? I grew up in a tough neighborhood. And we used to say you can get further with a kind word and a gun than you can with just a kind word. <laughs> and in that neighborhood, it might have been true. And sometimes the reputation follows you. There is violence in Chicago, of course, but not by me and not by anybody I employ. And I'll tell you why, because it's not good business. Green beer you're peddling just ain't any good. But it's supposed to be good. It's supposed to be bought. I'm not buying any. <laughs> Don't worry about it, Pops. We won't come back. And how's everyone at your house today? They're fine. Your mama well? She has a little cold. Now you be careful crossing the street. Mister, you tell your mama mister. that. become preeminent he is expected to have enthusiasms enthusiasms what am I what draws my admiration what is that which gives me joy baseball a man a man stands alone at a plate. This is the time for what? For individual achievement. There he stands alone. But in the field, what? Part of a team. Looks, throws, catches, Hustles, part of one big team. Bats himself to live long day. Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, and so on. <laughs> this team don't field. What is he? You follow me? No one. Sunny day, stands are full of fans. 
What does he have to say? I'm going out there for myself. <laughs> but I get nowhere unless the team wins. Team. Well, guys, that was a really powerful clip and a really violent movie. And it sort of speaks to what you were talking, Paul, about the nature of government. The nature of government is to control or to govern force, the use of force. And what we're seeing is um, gangsterism, where they've taken our permission to use force, to govern force, and they're using it to, to crush skulls. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And we can see that in a number of ways on this energy issue, for example. I mean, they've got cap and trade coming in. What's cap and trade? Well, cap and trade requires people essentially to pay to continue doing what they're already doing. They've got to buy credits uh, effectively uh, to uh, continue doing what they're doing. And especially if they're in a competing energy market. For example, uh, gas, we've mentioned gas, is a, com a competitor for home heating. Most homes in Ontario are heated with natural gas, somewhere in the order of three quarters. And so cap and trade will require these gas companies and the people associated with them to pay in for these credits so that they can continue to do the business they're doing. Where does the money go? <laughs> to the owner of the electrical energy supplier, the uh, so-called government. So now, they're now stealing when, from their competitors. When you say that people have to buy credit, yeah. what they're really buying is permission. Right. And what if the credits run out? Well, is that a possibility under this system? I think the, the long term, I don't know, it's not completely fleshed out, but I think the uh, system will be one in which you essentially have to then buy at increased rates from someone who hoards them or has them, etc. Um, you know, they're, they're out there and you'll probably be buying them from the guy who doesn't uh, produce any CO2 emissions at all. So it's a perfect business killer. Oh yeah, you're, you're, you're making sure that the people uh, who don't produce anything are given money from the people who do produce them. Until they can't produce anymore. Yeah, until you've finally driven you know, Atlas out of, the, out of the jurisdiction. I mean, so that's one thing. You can see that the people that they're targeting, there are mandatory participants and optional participants. Well, these mandatory participants are effectively the competitors within the energy market, the people who are competing with electricity, people who, compete, who are competing with uh, uh, Ontario uh, power generation. And at the same time, you've got the uh, bolstering of the government's system. So what, what do they want to do? Well, they want to subsidize the uh, houses being transferred over from natural gas consumption for heating over to electricity consumption. I'm told the cost of that is about $4,500 for a single house and that there might be other complications as well, but that's what they want to do. Use the taxpayer's money to uh, spend it on homes so as to gain market share in the places that currently are using natural gas. What's the end, go end goal of all of this, though? Why would they bother trying to increase their market share? Aren't they just a government? Well, no, they're not. I mean, they are a gang that is trying to not just have a lot more money, but also to have a lot more power. This isn't even about governing. This is about running a freaking business. That's okay? right. It's all it is. And, and, and when, you know, I think the average person hearing this, even in Ontario, is having a hard time wrapping their head around this because, well, what does it mean to me? What can, you know? Well, here's what it means to them, Bob. Okay. I, here's how I see the, the, uh, the current uh, thing unfolding. People are wondering, well, isn't this just about stealing, you know, money from the, the gas companies? Well, it's not only about that. 
Imagine this, you've got a market not just on electricity, but on energy. So you're telling people that if they want to power their cars or if they want to heat their homes, they have to buy from the government. Sound familiar? Healthcare. Healthcare is that model. The only payer is the government. It's all taxpayer funded. The government doles it out according, not according to who paid for it, but according to who allegedly needs it. And I think that's the end game here. Politicize the supply of energy, hold the commanding heights in the economy, not just for economic reasons, but for political reasons. Because as soon as you do that, you can, I mean, you could make up any political system you want. For example, you could say that uh, Group X, as defined by the genetics or by defined by their uh, participation in a particular religion or defined by their uh, preferred uh, artistic habits, whatever it is, they get more energy than the person who isn't in that group because, well, we say so, our ideology says so. As soon as the profit uh, is taken out of the system, as soon as the price system is taken out of the system, it's all about political will. Who's got the political pull? Who gets the uh, electrical energy? The only energy, all of it supplied by the government. And how are they baiting us into this healthcare model of energy uh, you know, production and distribution with things like, you know, uh, 22 or $25 million worth of um, uh, grants for the manufacture of charging stations for electric cars, $14,000 subsidies to buy an electric car. These are, as, as I think it was Rex Murphy once uh, said recently, this isn't just an incentive, it's an outright bribe. Uh, so they're trying not only to... I think it's worse than what you're suggesting. Yeah. If I'm to take the article that appeared special to the Financial Post on May 17th, written by Ross McKittrick, right. who, of course, is professor of economics at the University of Guelph, a well-known person speaking out against all this climate change nonsense. He refers to this climate action plan leaked to reporters last week, and he says, having phased out coal fire power, the province now plans to phase out natural gas. And here's what people aren't being told, despite electric cars being extremely costly and unpopular, I'm quoting from him, more than one in 10 new car sales will have to be electric. That's going to be a mandated thing. Get this, every two-car household will have to own at least one electric car. This, this sounds like out of science fiction. We did science fiction last week. This is, this is crazier. Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, all homes listed for sale will require a costly energy audit. Home renovations will have to be geared around energy efficiency as the government defines it, not what the homeowner wants. And he points out how that by the time today's high school students are ready to buy their first home, it will be illegal for builders to install heating systems that use any kind of fossil fuel. This is madness. It's not only madness. It's, it's beyond a, evil. It's an echo of the past. In fact, in the 1960s, because the government wanted to expand its, uh, its electricity uh, market, it uh, had what was called a gold, I think it was called gold metal homes, which consumed five times as much electricity as the normal home. The idea being to create a more vibrant consumer of their product. Sure. So uh, live better electrically. That's it. Those ads live, used to run crazy when I exactly was a kid. That's exactly the slogan. Lived right. For 20 years, they ran a slogan from the 50s through to the and 70s. And it was all a, a scam. Didn't from the, they from have the first. actually plaques they put on the front uh, front porch of the houses that that had these? Uh, oh yes, and, and designations. I, yeah, and I think the homes became largely unsellable because they were such huge, huge energy hogs. You know, but you're right. Live better electrically was the slogan, and it was meant actually to uh, compete 
with the other forms of, of energy that we're talking about. Before we sat down, we were going through a bit of the history in Ontario of government, or to, to, to use that word loosely, um, <laughs> Ontario government's control over the energy uh, sector, mm-hmm. starting, of course, with electricity yep. and nationalizing it. And, um, and we got to talking about what is the motivation for these people, because the characters always change. You look over 130 years ago, or 120 odd years ago, when electricity first started here, it was nationalized by by people in Parliament. Of course, those people go, other people come in, and we're going down this road incrementally, level by level, of taking control of the energy market completely and utterly, right. putting it into the hands of the state. Now, <clears throat> I wanted to speak to motivation. We came up with this suggestion, basically, that the motivation is simply bald-faced control, control of the people. It is control, but... It's I, not it, power to the people, it's power over the people. It's power over the people, but it's with always that same disgusting and evil reason behind it that they think that thereby they can get something for nothing. That's always the motivation. It's a, it's an intellectually lazy, I don't want to think, I want to have without working, I want to have without thinking, now, I want to have without doing. Who's in this? Everybody who elects anybody who does that kind of thing for them is of that mindset. When you look across the street and your neighbor has that liberal, you know, sign, election sign or that progressive conservative election sign, what you're looking at is a supporter of something for nothing. They might not think of themselves that way. No, they, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. In but, fact, they would say, well, I pay my taxes. Yeah. I'm paying my taxes. It's not for nothing. I, they owe me. And that's how people feel about their pensions, about their power, about everything that they, in their, in their health care. And, and of course, they get that way because they're being stolen from constantly. They're looking for a way to survive all of the theft that's going on by the governing gang. They all bought into it before anybody was stealing. You know, oh, certainly, because, I, I because mean, it's history. a it's a it's a pretty big carrot to not try and bite on. If somebody says, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to give you free health care. You won't have to pay those health care premiums anymore," as did the PCs in this province. Oh yeah, and are I'm going to go? I'm going to take fourteen thousand dollars off the price of your Tesla or your other electric car, or I'm going to give you subsidized electricity. There'll be no reason why you should buy gasoline or propane. Or this is an this is an all out gang war in which the governing gang at present is liberals, but I think as history will show, they're just the current face of the same something-for-nothing gang. We've got... Well, the NDP and PCs are right in bed with them. Oh, yeah, and historically they're, they're that's, in a big threesome right now, and yeah. you, can't, you can't pull them apart like the dogs in the street. Yeah, I, I try to keep reminding <laughs> people here in Ontario that it was the conservative government, the progressive conservative government under Bill Davis, and the one just prior to him, that instituted free health care, so-called. That's right, you 1969. Know, nationalized nationalized health care. Right, and that's the model. If you, I think if the listener wants to understand what's happening, what the real issue is right now, when they talk about the climate, it's not the climate. It's about creating uh, an electricity government monopoly, so-called government, a gang monopoly, if you will, on electricity, on the health care model. In other words, you aren't going to be paying for energy in the future. You're going to be paying taxes, and you're going to be getting the energy that the government doles out to you as they see fit on the basis of need, and as the system continues to crumble because it's no longer making a profit and can't keep up with repairs and et cetera, it will turn to rationing. This will happen in anything they touch and turn into this, uh, you know, on the basis of need, not on the basis of ability to pay system because they've taken out the price system. So it'll be like in Venezuela. Once you've used your quota of electricity, they'll shut you off. It'll be a limiter on your uh, meter or something like that, would it? 
Well, uh, let's put it hey, this way. Hey, that's been going on in Trinidad for back since back in the 70s. An yeah. oil-rich country that is, uh, that is rationing its electricity. It used to go off every afternoon. You never knew when, but you had to be prepared for it. The power would just go off, and then it would start up again after industry went to bed. And then they would turn the lights back on for, for the consumers. There is a way and to this is where we're heading. And there is I a knew technical that way to do it. There, are, there is something what they call a limiter that they put at the meter on your house. It's just an, an adapter they put on there and saying that you can use just so much electricity. You can't go beyond it. So in other words, if you're allowed to use so many uh, watts of electric, kilowatts of electricity per hour uh, or watts per hour, then if you turn on another device, it won't work. Yeah, that's right. In fact, the smart meters that they've been installing for several years have that in mind. That's mm. what they want to do. They've they haven't been telling people this, of course. They said it's smart and it's time of use and all of that. But the the real key of this is it allows the government to ration uh, the electricity that's delivered to the house. That's the end goal. So we got a little clip coming up here, Paul. Do you want to? I, I know that you gave us this one to put into the show because yeah, it's great. It's a it's an excellent example of just how similar the conservatives progressives and the uh, liberals are. Yeah, so what we're going to hear uh, is a, a series of short clips starting in uh, 2003. We'll re uh, Ontarians, in, in any event, will remember that in that time, uh, the progressive conservatives were in power. We were heading into an election. The liberal uh, party was headed by a fellow named Dalton McGuinty, who was uh, campaigning on the slogan of choose change. And uh, from that point forward, he, he also promised in that election that he would not raise taxes a single penny and would not lower them either because he was focusing on health care and education. Uh, we'll also hear the voices of the current progressive conservative uh, leader, uh, Patrick Brown, and we'll hear the voice of the current liberal leader, um, Kathleen Wynne. And I think the, the All leaders of the same itself. party ever since we started Freedom Party. It has been no different. And ladies and gentlemen, if you need any proof, turn up the volume now. The first to speak will be Dalton McGinty. I'm asking you to choose change. Choose change. I'm asking you on the 2nd of October to choose change and to vote for your Ontario Liberal Party candidate. Here's Patrick Brown, leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party. Everything we do and stand for must be about change. Change for our party and change for Ontario. We need change in Ontario. We can make change happen. Dalton McGinty. I won't raise your taxes, but I won't cut them either. Our schools and hospitals need that money desperately. That's our priority. And as we think about what the PC party under Patrick Brown is all about, are you still the party of tax cuts? Well, you know, I, if Ontario was in a position where we can afford tax cuts, I would love to uh, limit uh, uh, the, uh, I would love to limit the burden that government has on, on businesses, on people. I believe in fiscal responsibility, um, but I also believe uh, that we have a duty to protect the social infrastructure of the province, and that, that means the environment, that means uh, health care, it means education. The speech last night, you mentioned taxes eight times. You said that taxes were too high, but you didn't talk about cutting taxes. Premier Kathleen Wynne. We know that we're changing our climate. That's not, that's not a question. Let me say this as clearly as I can. Climate change is a fact. It is man-made. There's a widespread understanding that we are in trouble as a planet. It is a threat. We have to move on this front. You know, I, I, I see no option. We have to do something about it. And there will be a carbon price. And that something includes 
That something includes putting a price on carbon. Together, we can build a new kind of prosperity. I believe that. We can build it so that it's lasting and so that it's fair. We can fight to avoid inaction, which will only lead to further inequality in the world. Compassion and prosperity go hand in hand. A green environment is necessary for economic growth. And I can tell you, I am proud of my relationship with first responders, and I am very proud. Few things I'm more proud of than being named an honorary firefighter. You're listening to Just Right, and you can find an archive of all our episodes at our website, justrightmedia.org. We're in studio with leader of the Ontario Freedom Party, Paul McKeever. And we're talking about exactly how similar all of the political parties, the major political parties currently sitting in the legislature are, and I think that previous clip prior to the, the Green Acres one, yes. um, illustrated that they are exactly on the same page. They're speaking from the same hymn book. Yeah, I, I, the idea that, uh, you know, if the outgoing liberals truly outgo and don't win the next election, that everything will be great if we just elect the progressive conservatives, I think is pretty much disproven by that clip. Uh, we heard Kathleen Wynne saying that she's all about healthcare, education, and the environment, and that's the same with Patrick Brown. They both want to put a price on carbon. Uh, neither one of them want to <laughs> cut taxes. I mean, it's just on and on and I'm, on. I'm sorry for bringing this up, but Robert Robert came out of said It's like the Green Acres clip. I'm thinking maybe that's what Ontario should be called, Green Acres, <laughs> because it's all about green, well, you know, which is really red. Where the, right? Yeah, you're, you're, you're a government if you play a guitar, but you're not a government yeah. if you actually use force correctly. Yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't take that image out of my mind. I don't know. You play guitar, Paul. You should be in there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, if you look at the history of this, it shouldn't be all that remarkable that they're the same. In fact, the very uh, electrical system that we're talking about, the one currently run by OPG and and the government of Ontario, the so called government, uh, has a history stemming back to uh, 1902. You know, back in 1902, electricity was being generated at Niagara Falls by a private entity called the McKenzie Syndicate. And one of the partners in that was that uh, Sir Henry Palat, who everyone in the Toronto area, at least, will know, uh, built Casa Loma. Yeah, wonderful place. Yeah. It is. Uh, so he's quite wealthy as a result of his uh, having lit up the streets of Toronto. He brought us the uh, the streetcars of Toronto. And his reward for doing such? Yeah, what a tragic well, we'll, story. I, we'll get into that because I'll yeah. tell you. What happened was that in 1902, sentiments came around for cheap electricity. People wanted cheap electricity. And uh, the... Conservative Party, which was not in power at the time, the Liberals were in power, caught on to this idea and they, they, they started advocating power at cost. Uh, they, they introduced a, uh, a resolution in 1902 that said in part, the water of the Niagara should be used directly by the provincial government to generate and develop electricity and pneumatic power for the purpose of light, heat and power and furnish same to the municipalities in this province at cost. And this was the theme and, you know, business leaders, the same kind of people who Pope, uh, who, who pushed the governments to fund things like Pan Am games and et cetera, where they want massive government expenditure on things because they think it'll help their businesses. Uh, they were at, at root at this too. They were manufacturing companies and commercial companies who wanted at-cost electricity. But of course, sure, the definition that, of at-cost is take out the profit. Right. The but, evil, but, and, evil. Drive, and drive the cost up. That's the thing that, that everyone eliminates. If you have prices regulated by a free market pricing system, the price to the consumer is way less 
than the non-free cost effective, yeah. you know, cost level issue. It, 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 there's no comparison. It, it's a fraud from the beginning. And I blame the PCs and the conservatives in this in this province and in this country for just not ever having dealt with the issues. Well, they oh, they dealt with it. I mean, they they, uh, well, they, they, <laughs> they, they joined the parade along playing with their me, with their yeah. guitar in the in the, in the parade <laughs> in Green Acres. That's let, what they're let doing. Let me give you some more bullet points on this because when the Liberals are still in power in in uh, 03, uh, you know, they gave the uh, the syndicate I just told you about uh, an offer of uh, $15,000. Um, uh, oh, sorry, that they at that time had uh, an irrevocable fr- franchise, $15,000 for water rights. Turns out that the Liberal Premier at the time had an investment in that company, and so he had an interest in not allowing someone else to take that monopoly away. Well, of course, the election of 1905 was, was approaching, and uh, people were getting more upset. They wanted this something for nothing power. And so uh, the Liberals said, okay, tell you what, uh, we found some new power. Uh, We can't give you 100% of it. We'll give you half of it. They lost the election. The progressive conservatives came in, and that was the 1905 election, and said, we are going to uh, annul that uh, contract. It wasn't uh, ratified by the legislature. And so they denied, they they dishonored the contract to the the syndicate. Now, the, the speech given by Whitney uh, Premier Whitney in 1905, after they won the election, was something I'd say not something that's not just shy of shocking, uh, maybe not shocking if you know the progressive conservatives as well as we do. But he he had said during the campaign that quote the water power of the Niagara should be as free as air unquote. And after he won the election, he said quote I say on behalf of the government that the power all over the country should not in the future be made the sport and prey of capitalists. Yes, and shall not be treated as anything else but a valuable asset of the people of Ontario whose trustees this government of the people are, unquote. Uh, by 1906... So they were explicitly anti-capitalist. Anti-capitalist. Communist. Yeah. They were explicitly yeah. communist. Absolutely. And, and by 1906, they still hadn't brought in their, their government power. So people marched, uh, 1,500 of them marched to the legislature chanting, we want cheap power and we want it now. So this gives you an idea of the sentiments in So they in all got behind Al Capone and they started marching in the streets. Exactly okay. right. So what happened was that the, the government uh, ended up making uh, offers, legislation that allow all the, le- uh, the local municipalities to buy their power exclusively through lines provided by the provincial government, which edged out the provision of power by the private company, the McKenzie Syndicate. In other words, using taxpayer money, they were building infrastructure that would compete with the private infrastructure and undercut it because they were going to be selling at cost. Of course, the syndicate was complaining. They went to court. The court said something to the effect that the... um, uh, the interests of the of the collective trump the interests of the individual. Uh, absolutely shocking. So in, in any event, after that, by about 1910, October 11th, 1910, in Kitchener, Ontario, the, the uh, progressive conservatives, what are, they, what are now called the progressive conservatives, had a great big sign erected, all lit with light bulbs. They flipped the switch to, to, to launch the, you know, their, their provision of power to the province. And what did the sign read? For the people, <laughs> you know. And that was how it was. By the time we got to the 1920s, that private company, with uh, Sir Henry Palat's company, the, mm-hmm. the McKenzie Syndicate, was effectively put out of business by corrupt, uh, you know, government practices. Um, by 1923, he'd in fact been uh, forced to leave his home, Casa Loma. Ten years later, the government seized it for for back taxes. I mean, it's a it's a, you know, it's just a a monument 
to abuse of what should have been the proper use it's, of government force. It's disgusting to the nth degree. It's the history of this province. No one seems to be aware of it. You can repeat it over and over again. And there has been no change. No, it's no. still the same. And there, there's another topic. You know, we should just touch on this okay. briefly. In the late 1950s, you know, we have this natural gas thing. We were saying, why do they want to get rid of natural gas? Well, in the late 1950s, it was the plan of the electricity providers, the government electricity providers, to edge out coal and oil for home heating. Natural gas came in, it was cheaper than electricity, and it was going to edge out the government. Yeah. And so what did they do? They came up with this zany economic theory that if they just subsidized the crap out of electricity, if they increased the quantity of it, if they got everybody onto electricity, they could somehow deal with the threat posed by natural gas. And that's where that 20-year slogan of, you know, living life on electricity. Or yeah, live, live better electrically. Live better electrically came from. Well, how did they do that? They built coal plants and they built nuclear plants. And, of course, by the time we got to 2002, we had the smog of these dirty, quickly built coal plants. We had the huge billions and billions of debt in nuclear, um, not only building but refurbishment costs, all because the government was abusing government force the progressive conservatives had been abusing government force to try and create a uh, uh, largely a monopoly on energy. That's what it's always been about. And the liberals are continuing that trend now with their war on, on uh, natural gas. And of so, course, the, um, the reason that they're giving right now, they're calling it the climate change um, plan or something to that yeah, effect. That's the right? pretext. So the pretext the... is climate change. And if people go back just a couple of years ago, they will find that the United Nations themselves, officials, on the international panel climate change came out and said the reason we're coming out with this climate change is to destroy capitalism they were explicit about it well and in that clip that we just heard with kathleen Wynne and patrick brown she says explicitly that the purpose of taking action now is to make sure that the that the wealth in the future is distributed fairly and that it's distributed you know i can't remember the exact term she used but effectively she wants to distribute it equitably and what did patrick brown say in echo he said well yes Compassion requires a green economy. Well, of course, compassion is wealth redistribution. And of course. of course, former PC leader Ernie Eves came out and said explicitly once again, and it's right in everybody's face, that the purpose of government is redistribute wealth. He, he told me that explicitly on the radio. And when I, when I gave him the opportunity to, to, to check himself and to re, you know, he said, no, the purpose, of, the, the purpose of government is to redistribute wealth. What do you think it is, Mr. McKeever? <laughs> and I said, well, to defend life, liberty, and property of the individuals who live here. And he goes, well, that too. <laughs> which, which you cannot do both at the same time. Yeah, I'm robbing with one hand and I'm protecting right. you from robbing now, with the, the other. Yeah. The other concern is that despite all the BS they're shooting at us, there are obviously private interests at the bottom of this pit of right. disgusting, just corruption to, right. to the core. Whether at Samsung or the businessmen who are running the businesses, how do we get them in jail? Well, I think that's exactly what you do. I mean, they got to be in, in jail. South, they shouldn't South be out Africa, there. they had a, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission of sorts, and I think that's the kind of thing that a actual government needs to do. I, I, I really think that a Kathleen Wynne, in a just world, should be afraid of her future. I do not think that she's a person who, if she were outside of government, doing what she's doing with the reins of government, I think that that would be called criminal conduct. Absolutely. There's no question. And I think a lot of people are using that word... Uh, you know, I hear it on the talk shows. And unfortunately, if you can legally steal, it's not a crime, is it? Right. She's legalized it. So she's legalizing criminality. Um, she's behaving criminally. Um, her, po her policies are all... Without violating any laws. 
Well, without violating any laws. And in fact, what they're going to do is make it a crime for the rest of us to live. Well, that's it. I mean, uh, you know, we've had this election finances stuff and effectively that's what that's all about. You know, making sure that we can't even speak up. We can't even call a criminal a criminal. But the people out there, the, the, the vast unwashed of us, they see the government that they elected and the opposition government that they put into opposition, both saying the same thing. They're doing what everybody wants. They don't see uh, the, the lines of force that you and I see, you know, to, to prompt us to use a clip out of the untouchables to show the naked force that can be behind these laws. They don't see that. What what do you have to do to prove to them that what we see in government in Queen's Park today is actual bare naked force and violence? Well, I think that you're giving a lot of credit to a lot of voters. I think, frankly, that the, I mean, keep in mind, the number of people, the percentage of voters who voted for the Liberals was something in the range of the teens. It wasn't even above 20% of all voters. Uh, they want a majority with that. Uh, that's the system we're, we're dealing with right now. And I know that's a classic argument, see how many people voted against the Liberals. I don't go that far. I just say that the support for the, the so-called government right now is actually quite small. And I think it's uh, basically constituted by the people who know darned well that they're ripping the rest of us off. Well, we've already established that the Liberals are no different than the Conservatives, who are no different than the NDP. Right. So all told, though, you do have a very large percentage of the people of Ontario getting what they voted for. Under 50%, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, regardless I mean, of who's in power. That's right. Those three parties, I mean, uh, roughly speaking... It's we a cartel. Can, well, yes. <laughs> a and, political and cartel. I, I really uh, believe that the PCs... This is a little story. I'm at a, an election dinner, okay? Election finances uh, meeting. All the parties are there. We're having lunch. And they have one representative or two representatives, rather, from each party. I'm sitting within earshot of the PCs and the, and the Liberals who are sitting with one another, of course, regaling one another with the, the good old days before there was such partisanship. And it was, you know, the, one party would take the baton of power and then they'd hand it back to the other party. And it wasn't about ideology. It was just about power, quote unquote. It wasn't about ideology. It was just about power. Which That's is a, a lie in itself, too, because it's always about ideology. Well, it's, it's not about ideology between them because yeah. they have the same ideology. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's the point. They were, they were saying, aren't we great buddies? Because really they're the same party and all they do is take turns. And it gives everybody the feeling that, well, we're changing things. But in fact, as we heard in the clip, it's just another Dalton McGinty. Nothing changes. Uh, we won't raise your taxes is a lie. Uh, we won't ro lower your taxes is, is almost a promise. So to look to the PCs, the NDP, the Green Party, the Liberal Party, um, any of the above, is um, mis mistaken. It's not the way to go for the people of Ontario. No, those, they all, those parties appeal to people who want something for nothing. And let's face it, elections appeal to people who want something for nothing. The rest of us are busy making money. We don't think that government can do anything for us because all we've ever experienced from government is taxation, regulation, red tape, etc. Those of us who don't think, uh, you know, the government can do anything for us, that politics is a pointless waste of time, are letting the crooks run the shop. Uh, effectively, the, the cat is away, the mice are playing, and it's time for the majority of voters, the ones who don't vote currently, to put a cat back in that legislature. Are you the cat? I'm certainly offering to be. McKinsey's dug up enough dirt to bury us all. Maybe you, buddy. I'm clean as a whistle. Save the pious act for the voters, Al. I know better. Are you accusing me of something, Dan? Gentlemen, gentlemen, let's not shoot ourselves in the foot arguing. All this is going to turn out just fine so long as we stick together. Ah, uh, excuse me. Uh, 
I don't want to interrupt, but I, I, did, I didn't see a, a secretary out here. Mr. McKenzie, what a pleasure. Huh. Come right in. Uh, Please, sit down. Uh, sir, I... You caught us smack in the middle of a policy meeting. Oh, well, that's some job you fellas have. Try and figure out what the voters want and then giving it to them. <laughs> that's what politicians do, Mr. McKenzie. Oh, I used to think so. Oh, sounds like you don't care for politicians. Oh, I do some. Yeah, Lincoln was a politician and Jefferson and a few others. Of course, we haven't seen their like in some time, but uh, with a little luck, uh, we will again someday. In the meantime, you're busy trying to destroy this administration. You misread me, gentlemen. All I'm after here is the truth. Yeah, the truth. Does anybody care about the truth, Paul, in politics, really? Seriously? I, I've never seen truth become a priority in anything that, I, that, that normally would be associated with politics outside our own party, of course. Well, when you want something for nothing and how you get there doesn't make much difference. So the truth, if it's convenient, fine. If it's not, fine. You know, that's the thing about politics. It, some people will say it's full of lies. There's, a, there's another category. It's BS, you know, and the, there was a uh, well-written book by, a, I think it was a Harvard professor a little while ago. We talked on, about it. Yep. Yeah, on BS. I'm just giving you the short, of mm -hmm. course. But the idea was that lies are things that you tell uh, when you know that they're false and you want people to believe them, whereas BS... You don't care. You don't even know if it's true or false. You just know it's convenient if it if it convinces people to to you know to support your your position. And I think that's that's what we're seeing. No one values the truth because all they value is the something for nothing when they're voting for those parties that will offer it. Uh, who who values the truth? Well, the people who are listening to this show today, for example. Well, the people who have to work to earn the money that that is right. being confiscated, they should value the truth. Right. But often they're looking for security. They want someone to save them from the other guy. So to me, the great danger in Ontario today is that there is such a hatred spreading about Wynne, uh, Kathleen Wynne and her policies. And, and here's Patrick Brown sitting in the background expecting to take the reins of power to continue the same story. Yeah, well, and and people will vote for him just to feel that they got rid of Win. How, how do you get how do you how do you get over that that hump? Well, first of all, I think that anybody who's actually interested in in uh, making sure that uh, they have a freer uh, system, in other words, that they get a government, will have to t accept the fact that they won't get it by voting for the progressive conservatives. They're just getting another liberal party if they do that. Those clips make it clear. The history makes it clear. And I think what people need to focus on right now is keeping clear to everyone they speak to that we do not have a government. We have elected criminal organizations. Okay. Organizations that would be thrown in jail if they didn't have the cover of right of law. In other words, if, they, if what they were doing weren't made legal by their own laws. When, 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 a, when a Kathleen Wynne gets on Twitter and talks about the great theft, the great wealth distribution she's doing for somebody, the appropriate approach is not to grant her the status of government. Don't say the government's doing wrong. Say the government is going to come and get you when we elect it. Don't allow her to say, uh, I'm, I believe government's a force for good. She's not doing good. She's doing evil. And, you know, when she says something uh, obnoxious like that, don't be afraid to say, I believe that you are doing evil. I believe that your conduct is what criminals do. 
I believe that what you're doing is the very thing that you're supposed to be preventing and that you're in breach of your duty to every individual in this province. Don't be afraid to speak truth to power, as they say, because you're not speaking truth to government. You're speaking truth to a gang. And when you do it, everyone else around you will finally say, you know what? He's right. We don't have a government. A government's what we need. Don't be led. I mean, a lot it's of like the say, emperor wears no clothes. Well, in a sense. And, and, and the other thing is, everyone will tell you, well, what we need is less government. How can you get less than zero? You can't. We don't have a government. And that libertarian message, you know, we need less government, concedes to the liberals, to the progressive conservatives, the, the, the status of being an actual government when they are not one. We don't need less government. We need a government. We don't need, uh, you know, to get rid of this government. We need to get rid of this criminal gang. And how do you do it? By electing, for the first time in a long time, a government, a group of people who will govern. Well, even will... there, we're being stymied, aren't we? Because we are being having our freedom to party taken away. <laughs> yes. And literally, I mean political party. Right. They're limiting they're already, limiting contributions. They're already cutting individuals out of the political process with these new so-called electoral finance reforms, which we know a lot more about than the average person. Right. And uh, they haven't even seen the details of this yet. But effectively, if instituted, there will be no more other parties basically permitted. And even if you don't want to operate as a political party and you want to be a third party, quote unquote, not a political party, but a third interest advertising on your own as a lobby group, that too will be restricted. Yeah, you won't be ex this able is, to express this political is, uh, uh, opposition I, or support. Right. Yeah. I would never have thought I would live to see the day in Ontario that such a thing could even be spoken out loud without people shooting guns at the people who were, who were saying these things. And yet here we are, we're embracing this. Well, and, I don't think we're embracing it. I well, think, I nobody's think doing anything about it, well, except for us. It's a bit of an inside baseball thing. Most people aren't receiving any funds from the government for their political activities. Most people aren't involved in the legislature. No, but they're paying. That's, that's the they thing. The government's going to force them to pay their parties. They're political parties, yeah, not they're forcing, the government. They're forcing the taxpayer to fund political parties, which are private institutions, and they're uh, passing laws that make it impossible to finance smaller parties like Freedom Party, right. for example, $1,500 maximum uh, contribution to the party. That is designed to cripple. Totally cripple. To cripple a party like ours uh, so that you we can't can never... run two radio ads for yeah. that amount of money. Not to mention, they, the, the, the media is not talking about this part of it so much. They're also instituting a, a silence provision. So for the six months leading up to an election, nobody's allowed to spend more than a million dollars on advertising. That's nothing. That's a laughable amount of money. So in other words, you're not allowed to oppose meaningfully or effectively the government leading up to an election. It's beyond chilling. I'm sitting here, oh my Lord, why, ha why aren't the parliament buildings burning? I'm telling you. Well, uh, you know, I, I fully expect, and I said this in jest, but, uh, you know, what is she going to do when people say, you know what, if you want me to pay all of this debt, if you want me to live in all of this oppression, I'm leaving. This is a province, not a country. I can move to Alberta. I can move to BC. What are you going to do next? Build walls. I, I mean, I wouldn't put it past her. And someone said, well, it won't be a wall, but it'll be an exit tax. And I think that's well, the bingo. And you know what, that, the Ontario Provincial Pension Plan that they're coming up, I think, is part of that device. Because a lot of people know who have pensions now that they're more or less slaves to a particular employer because they want to get their pension back out of them, right? So they stay in the same job, you know, getting their pension. When you have a provincial pension, you just watch to prevent people from leaving the province, which they will do 
as they are doing now because of their this, this uh, so-called government, this, this gang of thugs. Um, the Ontario pension plan will be taken from them. You right. may have to have a residency uh, requirement for it. You, every, you every, just watch. Yeah, every dollar you've put into the pension plan will be forfeit if you leave the province. Yeah. Guaranteed, because they don't want you to leave. They want to force you to stay, and if they can't do it with physical walls, they'll do it with economic ones. It's it's a really sad well, day one for of them, One of them is those provisions on home ownership and what you have to do to your house. Even if you wanted to move and sell your house, look at all the costs that would that would be involved unless you took a huge loss. It's it's revolting. It's, it's hard to believe. Uh, it's hard for most people to believe that what we're looking at is effectively... Uh, the communists again. Um, you can't use the words, not, you know, a word that's taken seriously anymore. Uh, I'm taking it seriously. Oh, well, you have to, because communist is effectively, effectively just another word for criminal. And that's what these people are. They're trying to, to rob you, to enslave you, to keep you where you are so you can't escape without losing everything you have. I think that's something we need to take action on in the 2018 election, not when it's too late and we can't afford to do anything about it. And I think the first step is to make sure that we, each of us, calls these people what they are. Don't give them the, the benefit of being called a government. They're not. If you want a government, vote Freedom Party. Now, of course, free citizens do not have to be enemies with one another, <laughs> which is what they're turning us all into. Of right? course. And, and Intentionally. So, I mean, when you divide people according to race, sex, etc., look at uh, Kathleen Wynne. I don't think she recognizes that she has any people living in the province of Ontario that are male, except when she wants to talk about rapists. That's right. I mean, she will be seen regularly in the papers uh, with students, but the students always have to be female. It always has to be, um, you know, STEM. Uh, certainly, uh, girls should be encouraged to st- study the STEM uh, subjects, you know, engineering and, and math and et cetera. Got no problem with that. But everybody should. She turns it into a sexist thing. I think she's obsessed with the issue of sex. She's she obsessed with the issue of sexual orientation. And I, I see some real misandrony, if that's the word, hatred of men in her whole approach. And I think really it's to drive a wedge between men and women because she sees a political advantage in doing that. I think she's doing a good job of it too. If there's one thing that our existing political parties can do is to bring the province down to <laughs> just a, a terrible level. Paul McKeever, thank you for joining us today. Um, we've got a lot to do in the future, that's for sure. Uh, any final comments besides what you've already added? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think anyone should lose hope, uh, but they can't sit back and expect freedom to be delivered on a, on a silver platter. Think about it. When you expect freedom to be delivered to you by people like just a Paul McKeever and a few other guys organizing and writing a platform, uh, you're trying to get something for nothing. And that's a good point because, let's face it, this may well be the last year where individuals can even get effectively involved in the political process. And I would encourage them to make those contributions. Yeah, Yeah. I'd encourage them to make those contributions before the electoral finance laws come in and and quash us. And that means they've got to get that money in before January 1 of 2018. Freedom Party's website. 2017. 2017. 2017. Freedom Party's website where they can contribute or find out more. Yes, uh, Freedom Party, all one word, freedomparty.on, Ontario, N is in Nancy, dot C-A. That's the place to go. And you've been with Just Right today, and that's it for our show. Join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Darling! Darling, you're back! Yes. 
Well, where was the fire? There wasn't any. Well, who sent up the rocket? Chief Carson. Why did you do that? He called an emergency band practice. Well, where is your helmet? Oh, they took it away from me because I didn't bring my guitar. 